was thinking about how I had been feeling the past couple days, which was really unproductive, really depressed. I was having a hard time eating, um, even getting out of bed, taking care of my basic needs because of my mental illness. That's the voice of Madeline Parker, a software developer in her late 20s. Madeline suffers from chronic anxiety, depression, and post-traumatic stress disorder. In June of 2017, Madeline found herself struggling to manage her mental illness and in need of some time to focus on her well-being. In order to take the time off work, she could have just made up an excuse. She could have said she had the flu, and her absence could have been quiet and unremarkable. In fact, she had taken that approach before. That's what I used to do. And then um, lying about things and not bringing your whole self to work, you know, having to hide part of yourself increases that anxiety and increases the depression. So this time, Madeline decided to do something different. She told the truth. She sent an email to her team at Olark, a live chat application developer based in Ann Arbor, Michigan, stating that she would need to take the next two days off to focus on her mental health and hope to return the following week back at 100%. Madeline's story made international headlines last year. The audio clips you just heard were from an interview she gave with the CBC. It made the news in part for the bravery of her action and in part because of the response from her CEO. When Ben Congleton, Olark's chief executive officer, received Madeline's message, he replied thanking her for sending such an email. In his response, Ben says, quote, Every time you do, I use it as a reminder of the importance of using sick days for mental health. I can't believe this is not standard practice at all organizations. You're an example to us all and help cut through the stigma so we can bring our whole selves to work. End quote. Madeline's openness and Ben's support shouldn't be front page material, but they are because neither is as commonplace as they should be. When it comes to dealing with mental health, we still have a long way to go. Too many people with mental illness suffer in silence out of fear of judgment and rejection. This week, at least 500,000 Canadians will be unable to work due to mental health problems. A number of those individuals work in healthcare, and the lab is far from immune. So where to begin with such a complex issue? Well, it seems to me that a good place to start is by taking Madeline's lead and having an open conversation. I'm Kathy Bowers, and you're listening to The Objective Lens. We are a profession that loves data. So here are some numbers for you. One in five. That's the number of Canadians who experience a mental health or addiction problem in any given year. One in three. That's the number of disability claims that are related to mental illness. And that number is growing, by the way. 39. That's the percentage of workers who, in a recent study, indicated that they would not tell their managers if they were experiencing a mental health problem. Six billion. That's the estimated cost in dollars of the productivity lost from absenteeism and presenteeism due to mental health issues. 51 billion, that's the economic cost of mental illness to the Canadian economy. 
and that's about 2.8% of Canada's GDP. Um, according to the data, healthcare workers are one and a half times more likely to be off work due to illness or disability than people in all other sectors. There are higher rates of burnout, uh, compassion fatigue, and sleep deprivation in the health sector. And this clearly affects the health and safety of the provider, and it also could have implications on the care and safety of patients. That's Jennifer Kitts. Jennifer is the Director of Policy and Strategy at Healthcare Can, a national organization based in Ottawa that represents Canadian hospitals and regional health authorities. Her role is to oversee a range of policy issues important to Canadian healthcare workers, including workplace mental health. Since 2013, Healthcare Can has been working with the Mental Health Commission of Canada to advance this important initiative. You may have seen um, some of the data recently. There's been a lot of um, media around burnout of physicians, of nurses, and so on. And uh, at least 40% of Canadian uh, physicians report that they're in advanced stages of burnout. And it's clearly a critical issue for nurses and all other health professionals working in our system. So the mental health concerns of healthcare professionals have been well documented in the past, but there is a reason Jennifer mentioned physicians and nurses in that clip. Much of the research and data that is out there centers on those two particular health professions, leaving a bit of a void when it comes to the lab. In 2015, CSMS researcher Laura Zickla began conducting research into the current state of mental health issues within the laboratory community. At the time, there was no national information on medical lab professionals in regards to the state of anxiety, burnout, and mental health issues. No matter who you talk to, who you relate with, what you see is that there is a large degree of mental health illness or issues within our community, not only within our profession, but within Canada. Laura's research indicates that our profession is experiencing burnout and mental health issues at a comparable rate to those in other healthcare professions. That might be surprising to some when you think about it on the surface. While laboratory assistants and some technologists have significant patient contact, the majority of laboratory professionals are more removed from direct patient interactions, which is often cited as a cause of stress and anxiety. But the lab has its own unique drivers of stress, and their effect on the mental well-being of the professionals working within the lab is just as significant. The laboratory is experiencing cuts all across Canada. So what we're seeing is the shortage of staff. They're not being replaced. Um, The comments in regards to people being on sick leave and having to come in because there's nobody to do their job, which could mean certain cases that the whole lab shuts down. That's huge in regards to the burden on your mental health. Technology is changing. So within the laboratory, there's perceptions based on my conversations with members that some people are able to pick up the new technology and work with the change as well. And then there's other people who have difficulty adapting. The reason doesn't make a difference, but that there is this constant change that are happening in laboratories across Canada. And what that does to those who can't adapt to the change is they feel this inability to make their situation different. So if they're in an environment where they're experiencing mental health issues in the first place, and now they have this sort of external layer that's put on top of them, and they don't feel like they can make change, it's going to make the situation worse. Laura's research, conducted through focus groups and surveys, 
revealed a strong need for mental health supports in our profession, something the CSMLS really took to heart. Now that we had that data and could make the reports open to the community, lab professionals could use them to advocate for themselves at an organizational level. And that is really important and something that really stood out to Laura when analyzing the results of her research. And the qualitative comments really spoke to a profession that wants to build a relationship together as a community and stand up against mental health, but didn't necessarily know how to do that at a national level, to prove to other professions that what they were experiencing is just as valuable and that needs to be targeted by administration and organizations. We don't want to be forgot about because we're in the basement, so to speak. We want to make sure that we are standing there in the hallways that as care providers, because we do provide for patients in terms of the duties that we do every single day, that our mental health is just as important. And I wasn't expecting that message to come through as loudly as it did. We've taken a, a couple of different approaches to make sure that this is holistic rather than a one-off project. So CSMLS has signed a declaration of commitment to psychological health and safety in healthcare. And basically what this is, is to demonstrate our commitment, not only within the project that we've done to date, but where we're going to go in the future. So this commitment talks about taking action in alignment with the principles associated with the National Standard for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace. The National Standard of Canada for Psychological Health and Safety in the Workplace was launched in January 2013 by the Mental Health Commission of Canada. The first of its kind in the world, it's a set of voluntary guidelines, tools, and resources to guide organizations in promoting psychological health and prevention of psychological harm due to workplace factors. In June 2017, Healthcare Can and the Mental Health Commission of Canada launched the Declaration of Commitment to Psychological Health and Safety in Healthcare. It encourages healthcare organizations to take action in alignment with the national standard. That is the declaration that Laura is referring to. Outside of the declaration, there's a few other things that CSMLS is doing. We're going to rerun the survey that we did last year, and that's the survey that was a national level mental health initiative to see what our trends are in regards to mental illness and uh, issues. And in that regards, what we're creating is the baseline data and then looking at trend data. Has our depression and anxiety gone up or down? Is our burnout staying the same? And we can look at those data in relation to our workforce numbers. So if members are saying to us, there's a shortage and it's impacting my mental health, as the Kai High data comes to light to say that our members are retiring and we're not replacing them fast enough, then we should be able to see that trend in our mental health across time. And this is what's going to help our business case to government, to local organizations within a lab directly. Any member can pick up those stats and be able, stat and be able to communicate that across. One of the most significant outcomes of this initiative is the CSMLS Mental Health Toolkit. Launched in October of 2016, the toolkit is a comprehensive collection of mental health information and resources for individuals, managers, and organizations. It includes quizzes, videos, self-assessments, and other tools. And it's open to everyone, members, non-members, and even other health professions. 
Megan Bryden is a former nuclear medicine technologist based in Halifax. Currently, she works as a PACS, that's Picture Archiving and Communication System, application specialist, maintaining electronic health records. She is also the president of the Nova Scotia Association of Medical Radiation Technologists. I think MRTs and MLTs both are workhorse departments or workhorse professions in the department in the hospital. So, so many people who come to the hospital for any sort of visit or clinic have gone through um, the lab or DI in the process of getting the care and diagnosis and follow-up that they need. And I think that along that road, there's a lot of really hardworking professionals that are very good at compartmentalizing the care that they provide and, you know, being very um, upfront and involved in the health care of people at work and then going home and having to turn that side of the brain off and go about your, uh, your regular life that you have outside of work. As Megan points out, there are a lot of commonalities between the lab and diagnostic imaging. So while the toolkit wasn't designed for Megan, it makes sense that many of the resources within the toolkit would resonate. Megan discovered the CSLS Mental Health Toolkit by chance. Here she discusses her experience with the toolkit. What I liked about it personally was that there was a lot of interactive content. So there were some quizzes and some information around sleep patterns and how that can uh, affect your health and how to talk to your employers or how do you talk to your colleagues about your mental health and, and how to generate those conversations. Because I think what the hard part is for people is to go from the experience to being able to communicate with people around how their mental health is affecting and related to the jobs that um, we're doing to provide care for the patients that we see. But also, it does, it does affect my colleagues. It does affect my, my direct manager. It does affect all kinds of things. So for me, I thought it was very nice to have the, the toolkit to sort of start those conversations. The Mental Health Toolkit is a start, but there is much more that needs to happen to address the issue, not just in lab, but across healthcare and beyond. We've put particular emphasis on the importance of mobilizing leadership in both creating a psychologically healthy workplace and actively supporting the broader movement to improve mental health. From all of the work that we've done and working with members across the country who have been advancing workplace health and advancing the standard on psychological health and safety, we know that leadership is fundamental to changing the culture of an organization and for setting the tone of an organization. And having senior leaders and leaders at all levels on board is key. That's why the story of Madeline Parker and her boss, Ben Congleton, from the top of this episode is so relevant. Creating an organizational culture that is supportive of mental health starts at the top. Jennifer continues and offers some examples of how organizations can start making some positive changes to improve their mental health culture. In terms of leadership, ensuring the commitment of organizational leadership is a key first step. 
Um, it's important, of course, to measure what you're, you know, where you're at and where you're going. So establishing a baseline profile of the organization is important and conducting a needs assessment. Um, many organizations develop a policy or statement in terms of workplace mental health. There are often champions in the workplace, um, so identifying a champion or more than one champion is an important step. Um, also, uh, providing mental health training for managers and employees is another uh, important initiative that workplaces can take, and there's many um, tools out there, many training programs. For example, uh, Mental Health First Aid, which is offered by the Mental Health Commission of Canada, is something to consider, but there are many other um, mindfulness training um, uh, um, courses that can be taken or resiliency training for employees and um, and managers. So these are, are, are steps that uh, employers can take. Many organizations are well on their way. Here are some that Jennifer thinks are making advances on the mental health front. You know, it's hard to kind of single out any, any one organization because there's many, um, you know, exceptional organizations. Um, some of the early adopters, so just, uh, just to reference that, or, or um, Ontario Shores, um, outside of uh, Toronto, um, Michael Guerin Hospital, these were a couple of organizations that were very much early adopters and um, the leadership has uh, embraced um, the standard and, and, and uh, have, they've been doing, they're very much um, champions within the collaborative. Um, Nova Scotia Health Authority has done a great deal of work in this area, um, Alberta Health Services. Um, so there are many, um, and I could mention many, many more in terms of um, those who are um, taking this very seriously and, and advancing this work, but those are just a few that I'll mention. Rosina Mete is a psychotherapist working at a community health centre in the Niagara region of Ontario. In her role, Rosina works with people for individual counseling, anywhere from a few sessions up until about 12 sessions of short-term goal-focused therapy. Psychotherapy is considered a, a regulated act, and um, essentially what uh, psychotherapy does is um, it uh, provides um, an intervention or approach based on recognized psychotherapeutic theories, models, or frameworks. Um, and then it's delivered through a therapeutic relationship. So I would say with psychotherapy, the strong therapeutic alliance with the individual is really important to treatment and also based on, you know, clear professional and ethical boundaries. I spoke with Rosina to see if psychotherapy techniques could be used to address mental health issues in the workplace. She says they can. But she is quick to point out that the strategies can be difficult to implement if you are feeling overwhelmed, stressed, or anxious. In those cases, Rosina would recommend seeking professional help. With that disclaimer out of the way, here are some strategies Rosina recommends. Identifying your triggers can be helpful. Often you'll hear individuals say, I'm so stressed at work. Well, what is impacting your stress level? Is it the environment? Is it your schedule, for example, shift work? Is it the tasks? Once you pinpoint the trigger, think about what you might do to address it. You may also want to think about your immediate thoughts and assumptions that come up. 
If you are constantly seeing things in a negative light, try to take a step back and think, how might a stranger see this situation? Similarly, if you have a lot of negative self-talk, ask yourself, what might I say to a friend or a loved one in this situation? Rosina continues and introduced me to a concept I had never heard of before, a comfort box. Furthermore, I would encourage everyone in the workplace to have some ideas of what brings them comfort, what promotes their happiness, and what eases their worries. From there, developing a comfort box to have at work may be helpful. Within a comfort box, you can place items that provide you with essentially comfort. For example, a CD or USB of your favorite music, a container of soothing tea, photos of your family or friends, some positive statements that resonate with you, etc. The final technique which Rosina offers up is mindfulness. Mindfulness is a mental state achieved by focusing one's awareness on the present moment. You accomplish this by calmly acknowledging and accepting your feelings, thoughts, and bodily sensations. One way to be mindful is to use all five senses and try to name five things you see, four things you feel, three things you hear, two things you smell, and one thing you taste. We live in a very fast-paced society, so I would encourage listeners to try this strategy, but to seek further assistance and support from a psychotherapist or mental health professional if you are having difficulty with it. Rosina made me realize that there are very simple and easy things to do to help improve mental health on a personal level. And I think that is powerful because it means we don't have to depend on other people to solve things for us. That said, there are still systems and cultures we need to impact nationally, which can sound a little daunting. But perhaps change is easier than we think and can start a little closer to home. asked Laura what was next for CSMLS's mental health initiatives and where we need to go from here. Here are her thoughts. So I think the next phase in the mental health initiative really is targeted to the local level. There's an activation that needs to happen by members within the laboratory in order to make change. So we need to continue to hear from our members what you need to support that. But we also need our champions to start becoming more vocal and to be able to say to their organizations, to be able to go to conferences, to be able to say to the policymakers themselves that mental health within the laboratory is important and that change does need to happen. And it is only through that activation at the local level that we're truly going to be able to see greater change from where we are right now. It will help to break down the stigma. It will break down barriers. But most importantly, it will increase, increase awareness and show our members that there is a community out there willing to support them. So I would ask anybody listening to this particular podcast to take a moment to reflect on how they can make change locally and how they can activate greater awareness about mental health within their workplace, directly or indirectly, big or small, because every single step forward is an important step to take. I like that concept, that all steps, big and small, are important ones. It seems empowering because we can all take small steps towards improving mental health culture of our own workplaces. Case in point, 
Scott Martin is a chief technologist at Bulkley Valley District Hospital, part of the Northern Health in Smithers, British Columbia. Last October, his lab planned and organized an event which promoted mental health through a combination of kickboxing and techniques to deal with stress. They were definitely able to um, use the physical activity to uh, work out some stress. Uh, it was a very pre- pretty intense workout for a lot of people, and uh, they you know, realized the benefit of that. Their project was awarded a CSMLS grant for mental health awareness. The event was a hit, pun totally intended there, and attracted both those in the lab and from different departments of the hospital. Scott believes that creating a healthy workplace is an important part of his job. Healthy employees, both physically and mentally, are a very positive effect on all aspects of the lab, from uh, uh, decreasing mistakes or issues to adjusting and changing well, uh, or sorry, adjusting to change well, or having a happy work environment. So that was one of the reasons that uh, I was looking at this type of event is just simply because uh, we like, we're a close-knit group like you had said earlier, and uh, it's important to um, keep that going. That doesn't happen just by accident. That's something that is worked on all the time, and this was a way of doing something to promote that within our environment. If planning your own workplace wellness initiative sounds too daunting, Scott has some advice for you. It it isn't as hard as it, it might seem to you when uh, you first start out. Um, it is it did come together very easily. So, um, you know, if if somebody has an idea, I I would say pursue it. It it, it isn't that uh, difficult, and if it if it's something that people are interested in, you get lots of support. So um, like I say, we had lots of support from the hospital, lots of support from our community. Um, The people that were involved were very excited about it. So they were able to support us as well. A few things that needed to be arranged, uh, they came together very easily. So I would say definitely it's something that uh, is well worth pursuing if, uh, if somebody has an idea. Scott is a great example of the champion that Laura mentioned. Anyone can be a champion for mental health. Leading by example, trying something new, supporting your team, it doesn't take anything too novel or innovative. We know what we need to do. We just need someone to step up and actually do it. conclude where we began, with some data. In April 2017, Ipsos published its third annual Canadian Mental Health Checkup. The report shows that mental health issues are an increasing challenge. The proportion of Canadians who are classified as high risk on Ipsos's Mental Health Risk Index inched up to 41% this year, up from 35% in 2016 
and 33% in 2015. 40% of Canadians report that their mental health has disrupted their lives in some way in the past year, which is an increase of 11 percentage points over last year. Those numbers are concerning. Hopefully they shake us from our complacency and inspire us to do better. But I do want to highlight that there is good news in that report as well. Encouragingly, an increased number of Canadians, 42% in fact, have talked to someone about mental health. Almost half report being personally more comfortable talking about mental health issues compared to two years ago. That's great progress. Because these conversations are important, imperative even. So thanks for having the conversation today. And let's keep talking. The Objective Lens is written and produced by Michael Grant and myself, Kathy Bowers, and is the official podcast of the Canadian Society for Medical Laboratory Science. Administrative support by Redmilla Minor, editorial and editing support by Erica Now. For other episodes, supplemental content, and bonus material, visit our website at podcast.csmls.org. If you're in the medical laboratory field, you'll want to go to the website to find a link to a short quiz. By completing the quiz, you'll earn a certificate verifying professional development hours by listening to this episode. We'd love to hear from you. Come chat with us on Twitter at CSMLS or Facebook. You can find us at facebook.com slash CSMLS. Thanks for listening.